Hello, everyone. Welcome to Popcast on the Rocks, episode 148. My name is John, and I'm joined, as always, by Solitaire. I mean, Andrea. <laughs> you got what I was going for. Nice. I, I sure did. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, anyways, we're a podcast that talks about pop culture things that interest us. And sometimes there's whiskey. We're back. It feels like it's been quite a while. And um, if you're not clued in yet, uh, we'll be talking about some James Bond again, particularly Live and Let Die, um, starring Jane Seymour, your doppelganger. Um, uh, I'll take that. <laughs> and we're going to be doing a fun thing because it's the anniversary for Live and Let Die. I think the 50th anniversary, if I'm not mistaken. I believe so. And um, we'll be talking about the movie and the novel and the differences between them, betwixt them. So uh, that'll be the, the main encore of the night. Before that, we're going to have um, talk about what else we've been watching and reading and that sort of thing give our impressions of some of those things. And then um, to really start it all off, we got to talk about drink holidays. Looks like there's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's been a while. You know, we've, we've kind of gone through the end of August and the beginning of September already, which, holy crap, how did that happen? Um, so, yeah, we've got a few to go through starting way back on August 25th. Felt very applicable to our podcast, so how could I leave it out? Whiskey Sour Day. I mean, sometimes there's whiskey. Mm -hmm. I am not having a whiskey sour, but college Andrea would have. So, okay. Okay. Cheer, cheers to that. Uh, cheers also to something current Andrea would, but is not celebrating tonight. August 28th was National Red Wine Day. I am definitely a reds over whites person now. Okay. I think I, st I think I started out as most people do where you like ease into like the sweetness Sure. of white wine and then you kind of like progressively become a red wine drinker but i'm definitely there now okay yeah i we've talked about the progression of of beer drinking for sure mm -hmm. not so much of wine um i don't know that i had a proper progression with wine really like sure. i just have it sometimes <laughs> like yeah it's not the uh, yeah yeah, I feel like I, I started out with like the sweeter stuff, you know, it's, it's just easier to drink a white wine than it is a red. Um, but it's not like on a hot summer day, if somebody offered me white wine, I'd be like, no, my God, I have to have red. Nope. Yeah. I'll enjoy a glass of white or rosé. Thank you. But Yeah, wine is such a, uh, a occasion kind of thing to me. You know, mm -hmm. like it, it ha you know, there's always obviously the sort of a big you know deal made about proper pairings and with your food and yeah. everything and to me that really is where wine belongs most of the time but like whites yeah i'm i'm wanting to drink that when it's warm it's something mm -hmm. chilled it's something lighter um whether it's sweet or not um right and then reds like i really usually only want a red wine if i'm going to be having that with the right kind of meal um right and it's got to be the right kind of meal where I feel like I can have a beer or some whiskey with anything whenever. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely feels like cocktails are easy to have at any point 
I feel like, or like just like a simple mixed drink or something. And then, yeah, like red wine pairs with something like pairs, you know, even if it's not my meal, but if I'm having like, like a dessert later and I have like a red wine with like, oh, I'm having like a red wine with like a piece of chocolate cake or, you know, something like that. Yeah. That to me goes rather than like, I'm not having a cocktail with my chocolate cake. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We we spent a little more time learning about wine uh, a couple of years ago. And the one thing I found interesting was that pre, pre like America, it was, it was really like wine was designed in this fashion. So when you're creating the flavor profile, you're creating a red wine or something, you really are thinking about how you're going, what you're going to eat it with versus mm-hmm. it you know, wasn't designed to be consumed by itself. It sure. was designed to be consumed alongside something. It was always the idea of you're having a meal. Of course, you're having wine with it. It's an old world idea. That's just what you're drinking often, you know, safer right. than the water. So sometimes people will have these more expensive wines, what I call an old world wine, and there's, it's too much for them. There's it's too dry or it hits them in the face too much. And it's, you know, people develop a taste obviously too like that drinking by itself, but it's not really designed that way. And so in the more modern wine scene, we started making, you know, getting aware people were choosing to have wine to drink, not because it was their source of water, but because it's the afternoon and I feel like having a glass of wine. And so the the flavor profiles and the type of wine really changed uh, to accommodate a drinking wine, not a pairing wine. So when we're looking for wines, we're often looking for like simple labels, like non uh, fancy, modern, whatever, because those are always the ones that catch your eye. But if you're just looking to drink wine solo, that's maybe what you're looking for. But if you look for kind of the, so. uh, No, that's, that's interesting. Like, because when I think about, you know, buying wine, always look at the back just to see like what because there's always a recommendation for a pairing it's you know this wine goes with you know steak or you know this kind of pasta or you know x so it's it is still like linked in that way even if you know we've developed wine that can be drunk on its own but then i also think about like when who started that like was there like a conscious push and who was at the forefront of just being like, yeah, we just drink wine now because it yeah. is such a thing. Mm-hmm. And how, yeah, I don't know if it was like somebody specifically from like a marketing standpoint was like, we need to make wine just drinkable. Like who, yeah. who thought of that and how did they get us there? Because it yeah. is. Was it, yeah, that's a good point. Is, is a marketing push or is it like trying to adapt to people's taste buds? It is kind of a, like a modern becomes a modern convenience again, like where right. you would consider drinking wine outside of a meal or you just, right. I don't know. Yeah. Losing their, maybe they're losing their dinner to losing their lunch to whiskey or something. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's so, uh, it's such a, I mean, I always think about it now because it's such a, like a housewives thing. Mm-hmm. Always, always glass of wine. Like yep. you can hardly see them on the screen without one. So I just mm-hmm. wonder where that started. If there's any great sommelier in the chat, you know. Yes. Or Let comment us know section about that. later. Yeah, fill us in. 
Um, but assuming there there isn't for the moment, uh, but we are going to unfortunately stick with wine for a hot second <laughs> as we close out the month of August. Uh, August 30th was International Cabernet Sauvignon Day. Uh, it's also wildly different Mai Tai Day. <laughs> Okay. Which, yeah. se- which seems like an appropriate summer drink. So closing out the month of August, that makes more sense to me than Cabernet Sauvignon Day. Do you, so get this, that day is embodied in that. Have you seen the meme with John Daly, like, and the, some other golfer looking at each other? And John Daly is like in super colorful. It's on the golf course. It's a super no. colorful, crazy. He's like got a cigar or something. It just looks so out there and then he's just staring like i don't give a shit at this whoever the other golfer is there and it's, no. it's a great it's a great meme she's like he's my spirit animal i just like whatever but he's the mai tai and the other guy's the cab so i just that's uh, funny i'm gonna have to go look that up now for sure oh i don't found it yeah I found it. Okay. oh here we go here we go here yeah. we go <laughs> 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 oh my this, god i love it so much okay it's tiger woods too okay yeah oh my so. god his pants well, i am if dead. anyone watching this or listening hasn't uh hasn't seen this we'll have to try to post in the community um part of youtube or something like that so yeah that is a that is a great like uh representation a visual representation of the dichotomy of this day <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. The cab versus the Mai Tai. Yep. Oh, God. Thank you, Alan. Um, yeah, so moving on to September, um, it is Bourbon Heritage Month. I dig this. I, I mean, I don't really know what, like, the heritage part is supposed to be about, but I like a bourbon, so welcome September. Welcome yeah. the bourbon. It's At some point, I'm going to have to, like, go... Yeah, I'm going to have to go find like a really cool bourbon somewhere. My house. Um, your your house? All right. Yep. I'll come to your house and find Got a cool a bourbon. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you have it near you? I do have one. Yes. I have, <gasps> well, I have the go-to. Look at this. And see, it's getting down there because it's the go-to. Yeah, it is. So this is the Angel Angel's Envy. It's That's just, right. Uh, yeah, I've talked about yeah. this before. Yes. I, I, I was going to drink. I love that bottle. I um, forgot about that bottle. It's pretty yeah, sweet. It's got wings on it. Um, yeah. I, we have this other, like one that's designed like a copper pot, like a pot still, the bottle. Mm. So it's really cool. I've had that one on here before. And I just didn't want to yeah. drink that one again. We really only have two bourbons right now. So we've got this Angel's Envy and we have that only one. Two. And, um, we gotta yeah we gotta get some more we got way more of other kinds of whiskey and i like bourbon um yeah so yeah well here we go tonight keeping it simple bourbon just having a straight up shot of bourbon yep there you go i like it um speaking of you know keeping dichotomies alive uh in bourbon heritage month September 2nd is tailgating day. And I do not think that that is generally a place where bourbon <laughs> belongs. Uh, but perhaps Probably there not. are tailgaters, ta- tailgaters out there who would prove me wrong. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, not, not in my mind, the two 
the two do not go together. So, yeah. uh, but something that does go along with tailgating day is yesterday, September 7th was beer lovers day. So, all right. Cheers. To, cheers to that. I am not having a beer, but cheers to tailgating and beer lovers day, because that also means football is back, which it was last night. Okay. So I am excited. Um, so the actual season started last night? Yes, yes. The first okay. game of the NFL season started last night. The Detroit Lions beat the Kansas City Chiefs. Did not see that wow. coming. Yeah. Wow. Um, I mean, it was only by a score of one. And the Chiefs really, like, did their best to give it away. It's not like the Detroit Lions were really on point. Um, they sure. played well, but... Um, it was really chief mistakes that gave that game away, but still a shocker to open up the season. Wow. Yeah. So there's, there's my mini um, football talk. I won't, I won't keep it going too yeah, long. The, the, I had to get it in there. The chief mistakes of the chiefs was, uh, Indeed. yeah, <laughs> fumbles and such. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Well, just missed opportunities, but yeah, it was fun. It was fun to get back in the spirit of football and, and realize how much of my time will be sucked up by. <laughs> football games once again sure. goodbye to my sundays <laughs> what uh well what are you drinking then so you're not drinking something to celebrate uh football tailgating no no uh i did that last night i had a beer um but i am drinking something that's in the spirit of our podcast and in the spirit of what we're going to talk about uh it's not a martini because that's film james but I am honoring Book James. I'm having a scotch and soda, which it okay. feels like he has all the time. Yeah, nice. I I I honestly was considering that as well. Um, and then I just looked at your list here and like, oh, I can do bourbon simple here. Yeah. But yeah, no, that's that's true. It definitely seems like a go-to when we're talking mm -hmm. book James. It's um plenty of times it's simple and uh there was a yeah. brand too that they kept um it's a different so they, they, they do a couple of hague yeah, yeah they do a couple yeah. of different um they do one hague and then i think old granddad is maybe a bourbon yep. and not a scotch but yeah i think it makes i think it's for... so funny that like um book james is so particular about brands and food and like things being exactly so and like Movie James is in a different way. It's just like literally about <laughs> the way his martini is made rather than being mm -hmm. like, I need this brand of X. Well, the you know unfortunate I mean? thing with movie bond is that it's a mix of, we chose this because it makes sense for the character. And, and then we were given money to promote this. So it's, sure. we have, we have Smirnoff and we have Heineken because we take their money, but then, right. you know, which we they were not around for around. either book. Right. <laughs> right. But so, yeah. Um, even when, um, even when I was reading, which preview of my week, um, I was reading Casino Royale and he, you know, gives his order to the bartender to make the Vesper martini there's mm -hmm. a specific brand of gin and vodka that he uses in like his martinis. And it's like very like, this is what I want, or this is the it's little not I want. 
Is it Gordon's? Oh man. I have the, I, I think they, have the book. I, I have Live and Let Die in front of me and I don't have Casino Royale, so I couldn't look it up. No, no worries. I I've seen different people. It's amazing the different variations of the recipe for the Vesper. If you go online and watch mm-hmm. different people making it, do vary. Sure. Um, some trying to be more book accurate, but I thought they were trying to be relatively accurate in the film. So, yeah. Um, well, yeah, we should talk about that a little bit. Yep, so you, you read the three measures of Gordon's, one of vodka, half a measure of Kina Lillet. Yeah. But what? So, so yeah. no vodka special. No, he didn't. Spe- he didn't specify the vodka, but everything else okay. is like specific to a T. Yep. Yep. Huh. Well, um, so you read Casino Royale, the novel. I did. I mean, without letting I mean, me know, Andrea. Like, I know, I know. I just, I couldn't, I could not do it. I mean, Live and Let Die is the only, only the second book. So it feels yeah. silly not to go back and like start from the beginning. It, it makes sense. It makes sense. Um, how did, I mean, we'll have to talk a little bit more about it when we get into Living That Diet, but how did you like that book? Like, that was your first James Bond novel. So, what, yes. how did that come across? How to meet your expectations? Or, I really liked it. I had to, I feel like I had to read the first chapter over again a little bit to really get into the book because it's hard coming from the movie world of James Bond and then like getting into the book world where like it is very different because there's and and I mean even reading like Live and Let Die I realized some of the differences were intentional but it was hard to get into um Fleming's Bond in the sense of like he is a person and movie James is not so much a person as like an idea. Sure. You know, he's, he's really more of like a mythological character almost of a spy rather than a human being. And book James is a very much a human being. And it starts off very visceral of like, I'm in a casino at 3am. My eyes are tired. Like I'm feeling blurry. Like, my foot hurts. I got to go outside. You know, there was just a lot of like very random humanistic details that I really had to read uh, like twice, maybe even three times over to like get into the book. And then it really was, it was really hard. Um, and then also there were some very like specific references to like brands of things, which I realize now Having read more of the books is, you know, a hallmark. Um, but it was it was just it was a totally different style that I had to get into. And it took me a minute. But sure. I really, I really came out enjoying the books. Um, mm-hmm. I think it helped to read two at a time to like really get that in there. And I really I, liked it. I agree because uh my perspective would be a little different if I come in here only having read Live and Let Die, but having read yeah. Moonraker just before, I can see is enough then with just the two to mm-hmm. be able to see what kind of makes these things uh, have some common ground, yeah. makes, uh, yeah, like you say, hallmarks of the books and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, these are definitely ones I would recommend. And they're, they're nice and short. Um, mm-hmm. 
I would definitely recommend reading like a couple at a time and not just like trying to get into one and being like, oh, I have it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, Casino Royale, Live and Let Die. We'll get mm -hmm. into that more uh, coming up. What else happened this week? Um, not terribly much. Um, I continued a couple of series with Chris, so I was really excited about that. Um, got going on Zom 100, so we are one away from the finale in that series. I'm really loving it. There's been some great character development in these last couple of episodes, which I think I think this season sorely needed. It got like a little sidetracky at one point into like its episodic nature and then now it's like uh getting good pulling me in setting the hook so i'm excited for that finale to drop um miracle workers watched four episodes two three four and five that also has gotten much better oh, first good. okay first episode was really pretty rocky um but it definitely found its stride this season um and there's hilarious battle so this season is uh, end times, so it's apocalypse. There's a hilarious battle between one of the main characters who is like desert warlord trying to take over this, you know, like scattered little town um, that's popped mm -hmm. up. Um, and she has a face off with an HOA president and it is hilarious. It is so, <laughs> so, so good. Um, so yeah, so this season definitely really found its footing, which I'm happy about. Um, also there's a, there's a, um, a, uh, Daniel Radcliffe shirtless scene. Boy is ripped. Holy crap. Like <laughs> Harry so Potter. For Wolverine. He, you know, I, mean, I mean, he like, could. People talk about that. So he really could at this point, whatever he's doing. Wow. Um, Harry Potter just really went through a transformation, went through a glow up. Are you current with Miracle Workers then? No. So it's a full 10 episode season um, that have, I believe, have all dropped. Um, so I'm not current. Yeah, they've all dropped. Um, so I'm not current. I'm about halfway through the season, but definitely amazing. Definitely okay. recommend for sure. Nice. Um, but something well, I have finished from a while ago, Kenobi. Chris okay. and I finally got through it all. It was great um, in terms of like watching a piece of background and mythology between, and this is not a spoiler. Um, I mean, maybe, but it's so well advertised. I doubt it could be. But watching another piece of history between um, Obi-Wan and Darth Vader slash Anakin Skywalker as he returns in that series was really top notch. Only complaint is the series ends in a wildly nonsensical fashion. And uh, it's just like, it's, <laughs> and I'm, once again, I'm not really giving anything away here, but the ending of the series has Obi-Wan leaving Tatooine and it's like, but, but we know he comes back. Like, yeah. he's there watching mm -hmm. over Luke in the first movie. Like, where's, why is he leaving? Where's he going? There's like, I don't know, 
So that was my only just like I watched him like right away from Tatooine and I was like, you know, you're going to be back, yo. Like, I'm not sure where you're going right now, where you think you're like moving to, but uh, you're going to come back. So. I have so many problems with Kenobi. I just, so many I, problems. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yes, I get, I I get the, like nostalgic too, but... kind of feel of like, oh, look, it's, you know, Ewan and Hayden back together, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. But they did some the really expense of damaging like yeah. their characters. They did some really great like character work a la like, you know, the third movie. Um, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? Like just like their battle. It just yeah. like, uh, it, like right. brought me there in a really great way. But yes, there were definitely some other parts of it that I was like, oh, I could have not used this. Okay, everyone. Spoilers for Kenobi. All right. <laughs> Spoilers for Kenobi. Here's your warning. No, no, no. I, I mean, not, just I am okay. going to say stuff. Okay. Okay. And I, I was just, like, I really didn't feel like I was giving much no, away there. <laughs> no, no. I'm going to give stuff away. Cause, um, it, so it, the whole idea that Anakin and Kenobi meet before the battle and New Hope is a problem because it's, it changes no, the dynamic. Uh, you, it's supposed to be that you haven't seen each other in years. Last we met, you know, I was, but to learn, you know, I, I get it. Like, it, I don't understand it. You know, it, it just cheapens that whole moment. Um, and some people already had issues with that moment be, with the way the prequels, you know, like we see how right. the Jedi jump around and do the crazy stuff. And then you see these old timers and you're supposed to be afraid of Darth Vader and they're barely moving in some of that. I get it. But it, to me, you can explain away some of that stuff. But mm-hmm. I also the whole idea they have they have to make all of the pre-existing characters that are good guys, pathetic. Every freaking one of them. Kenobi, like disheveled, hidden away sort of thing. He's like mm. down on himself. He's disconnected from the force. He's just like in this hopeless state. He's a loser, became a loser. And then he asked, we have to spend the series trying to get him to some semblance of the man he was before. So right. again, this is a whole added detail that just worsens the character of Kenobi and they took the idea of like being like removed from the force from a comic book. They could have just made that comic book sometime into a show or whatever might've been cool, but they throw, they, but that person was dis was forcibly disconnected from the force because they did terrible things. Kenobi is mm-hmm. just sad about himself and the way things went. Ooh, right. uh, you know, I failed. And so he disconnects himself to like be outside of it. Then he goes, he's in charge of watching Luke. And yeah, he just leaves the freaking planet. Like mm-hmm. you know, inquisitors are finding Luke. He is just a, going off to protect Leia, which was someone yep. else's charge. Like, what are you doing? You can now you're completely dis, you know, removing yourself from what your core responsibility was. The character of Riva is pathetic. She's not a likable character, and I don't know how she lives. I just like this. 
I haven't even seen the show and I'm so mad about it in <laughs> terms of because Kenobi was one of our few people left that he already had depth. He already did fail. Mm -hmm. He already did have, you know, he already in a way lied to Luke. He already had things. He's not a perfect character. We didn't mm -hmm. need to try to slam him in the dirt even further. And he just goes from like, I can't sense the force at all to also I'm super powerful again. Mm -hmm. And I just I don't buy it. I think it's not a benefit or an, a great addition to uh, the Star Wars lore canon just so we can have some scenes with with Hayden and you and a grant. You know, let's just go to go to a Comic Con and like chat and answer sure. questions. That'd be fine by me. See, I I am more torn about this because I agree with some of like the like the thrust of your sentiments. Like there were things about this that were very problematic for me. Like you said, like making Obi-Wan this like really sad, pathetic character and then like sending him off to go after Leia when he's supposed to be watching Luke. Like there, there are problems here. There are also, I mean, the biggest problem. Yeah. He needs Vader. <laughs> like Everybody's like, Oh, Hey, everybody's still alive. We met each other. How does this work in a new hope that we suddenly are like, what? Um, so yeah, so I mean, it's big problems. On the other hand, like I said, I loved the emotional intensity of these scenes. They were amazing. I just really, really wish there was like another way that they could have happened mm -hmm. because I, I really just thought they were awesome. There were just moments that literally gave me chills, but yeah, I mean, is that worth you know, the expense of continuity of the canon of, you know, believable storylines. Mm -hmm. God damn, I don't know. I don't know. And obviously, I know your answer is no. For mm -hmm. me, once again, I just wish that there was like another way we could have pulled this off because it was great. It just it does bother me, though, obviously, because I can't watch it and then not think like, this is a very real problem in any mm -hmm. sort of, you know, and there's no w good way to, to make it happen and then retcon it and explain it like, oh, we forgot each other. We, you know, something mm -hmm. happened in the force. I don't know. Nothing you could come up with would be believable. Yeah. So, yeah. It was a problem. It was still really cool, though, to see that battle, um, to see it happen. To see Vader like just be like, oh, you're never going to win. This is why you're so pathetic. And Obi-Wan was like, actually, check some stuff but out because I'm pretty to badass. Me, to me, it's like um, what that's kind of like is a comic book where they have to come up with a lot of excuses to have our heroes fight each other because you want to see it. You want to see this hero sure. fight another hero instead of like who would win between these or what? And obviously we have a hero and a villain here, but yeah. um, they're two beloved characters that we want to see have a confrontation again. We want to see that drama. And in comic books, 
when they're written for a younger audience, we kind of let it go, you know, it'll be moved on past that. There's, you know, hundreds and hundreds of issues of a particular comic line, you know, of Justice League sure. or something. So we'll forget about this other thing, you know, was targeted kids. We had give it more leeway. But when you're talking, this is like our film and television story. Like you don't get the same leeway. You can't just have fun with like, what if, you know? Yeah. Do a what if series then, I guess, you know, that'd be. Yeah. Like Marvel's what if. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the, the, I totally get your point. The problem here is there is really great reason for them to fight because Darth Vader is still just like out for revenge in terms of like, you know, this, this series is supposed to be set nearer to their last fight where Obi-Wan, you know, maims him, leaves him broken and scarred. And so like, you definitely feel the revenge burning in his heart and it's like overriding good sense. The problem is this series is coming far too late for the viewer to really feel that that hate is old to us. Because the movie Revenge of the Sith was so long ago. If this, if this series came out two years, three years after that movie, I could, I could absolutely go from that to this and still feel that like visceral hate from Darth Vader for Obi-Wan. Like I still have like Hayden Christensen like screaming in, you know, the sand on fire, just ah! I hate you. I hate you. Going from that, if this was like two years after that, totally, this fight would make so much sense because he would be like, I am gonna just murder you for what you did to me. But we as the viewer have to remember all of that and get to this point. And that's the problem here. Like this series is too late to like play on us feeling that earlier hate do you, I do you like get what i'm saying yeah like, i get that this fight would absolutely make sense two years after that movie i would still be like oh my god he's so pissed he's gonna go get him because he makes decisions in kenobi that are definitely like not for the good of the empire they're definitely like i just want kenobi that's all i want i just i'm gonna kill him because i'm so well, pissed and I think if it took place shorter after the movie, but also in the timeline took place, mm -hmm. say, two years later, because mm -hmm. right now, and it would have to end in a way that, you know, because Vader shouldn't even know that Kenobi is alive. He shouldn't know, you know, like when we get to a new hope, it's like, well, here's a, a presence I have not felt for a long time. Be like, right. I didn't know this old man would still be around. Like right. I figured he would have been, you know, we would have wiped him out. He would have been hunted down with the rest somewhere along the lines, or he did just go off and hide his head between his, you know, his tail between his, with his tail between his legs because he's so utterly defeated. He's just out of the picture, done and gone. And this right. completely changes that aspect now. Now, yeah, Kenobi's out there. What's he doing? He, what's, right. What is he playing? What is, what is my old mentor up to all these years? Right. Well, and he definitely leaves the fight. Yeah, now I'm glad we have spoilers because Kenobi definitely leaves this fight the winner. 
Yeah. So it's, right. you know, it's not like Vader would just think like, oh yeah, he shrunk back into the shadows. Like, no, yeah. he's like, I'm powerful. I just yep. kick the crap out of you again. Yep. Oh. Anyway, Whatever. it was yeah. definitely necessary to finish Kenobi so we can move on to other things, um, including Andor, which I'm really excited about. But also it was good to like just feel satisfied <laughs> finishing that series because sure. I hate leaving things undone. Uh, like I said, the battle was really cool, really well acted. Kudos to uh, Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen, even if, I mean, I can't do anything about this. It comes at the expense of, you know, established canon. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, nice, 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 I guess, you know, that's a good job. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, okay. Well, I, um, I read a lot of comics again over the last, uh, I thought it was funny. I mentioned before, like how it took a bit getting into reading books again because like, oh i have to get, picture the things i'm reading so i'm not helping myself by still reading more comic books but uh uh i wanted to talk about a few of them one is called battle brick road okay. um so in it's a playoff yellow big yellow brick road and wizard of oz is like it's old enough that it's um I'm looking, uh, it's free. I'm, I'm missing the term for it. It's, um, it's no longer like copyrightable, you know, it's been around. Long oh, enough, oh yeah. Not, no, it's uh, in the public domain. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. So, um, so this is a kind of a new take on that story. Um, so on the cover is like scarecrow, uh, yeah. very badass looking scarecrow. Sweet. And, um, it's by Eric Weathers and Zeb Hatfield. And the interior art, I think, is a lot of fun. It's is more futuristic, this one, but they still mm -hmm. include like the flying monkeys or whatever they are and some of that. Um, and uh, let's see, show a few more pieces of the interior. So I've never been a big Wizard of Oz fan. Never could say I really particularly cared, but um, I know it's a classic and. Um, I'm excited to have a different take on that story, mm -hmm. sort of a future dystopian mm -hmm. sort of take on the story. And uh, yeah, that I think it's um, really sweet. Yeah, there's some there's some really, really good art in here, some interesting characters yeah. and fun things that happen. Um, I didn't I didn't really know what to expect other than I thought the art looked good and uh it it delivers um it's fun it's well written they don't do terrible exposition they do that where it kind of makes sense people explaining things to characters they would explain them to um so i like that a lot and uh, i'm looking forward a lot to the next volume so Excellent. this is kind of a full graphic novel size book and um yeah i won't show too much or whatever but uh, I highly recommend it. I know they're continuing on and the plan is to keep going with these for quite a while. So Battle Brick Road, give it a check, a look. It's got uh, some signatures on the front. It's probably hard to see down in the corners, but. Oh yeah, there you go. Right there. So yeah. Does the, uh, does the storyline kind of follow Wizard of Oz? 
Is there... I mean, they do like we're not. It's well, so far the idea that like a Dorothy would be thrown, you know, someplace not her home and is put in sort of a fantasyful kind of world, and then is going to be meeting these characters along the way to essentially find the wizard is the setup. So okay. you do have that setup. So okay. Yeah. Do you feel like so? Where does this first volume leave off? Like, is there like a recognizable point or like character at which we're, you we're know, introduced to Scarecrow? We like okay. to see Scarecrow basically. Okay. So okay. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, definitely the way I'm most interested in consuming Wizard of Oz. <laughs> sure. That's need fair. that different that different take. So um the other uh indie comic I read now this week is called Groken. Now Okay. Groken came out um volume one came out I think a while ago, but I only found out about, out about it when volume two was being talked about. And so I bought at that point, volume okay. one and two. So then I got both at once. These are two graphic novel size books. And to me in the independent comic space, um, there are a few really great artists and uh, Kenneth Roquefort is maybe the best in my opinion. So Kenneth Roquefort, this is basically to my understanding, his story in mm -hmm. a, as far as I can tell made up world. And unlike a lot of American comics, it's all him. So created, written, drawn, colored, lettered, and edited by Kenneth Roquefort. Wow. So it's his, uh, his show, like his baby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think his art is both detailed and stylized in all the right ways. So, mm -hmm. uh, and again, this is like what I like in terms of a made up created fantasy world. So mm -hmm. there's not a lot for exposition in this. I can see some people complaining about like, I don't know what's going on exactly. Like they do explain things, but you are very much thrown into a new world that you are unfamiliar with, mm. with okay. characters. You're not sure why you're following them or why you should care and um, all that sort of thing. But I think there's some great creativity shown mm -hmm. in this book. And um, yeah, it's not really like anything else I've seen. There's a combination of like sci-fi and fantasy. Oh, that's cool. So there's a lot of like fantasy elements, but then the sci-fi equipment and alchemy and that sort of thing. Sure. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I would have been happy if I got just this one, but having two was really good to be able to just continue the story. So. Um, wow. So that's, that's insane detail. That's one. And then two, again, I don't want to like, want to give away too much or whatever but uh oh i love that away. on um, my left slash your left that top left panel that's gorgeous the, yeah the the woman here with like yeah the yeah 
Mm-hmm. That's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, so they were introduced to quite a few characters in the first one. Uh, we get a little more from them in the second one. Um, I will have to, if I have any complaint about these two books, um, it's two things. One is the little opening couple paragraphs. They give a little sort of, I don't know, little statement about what's happening here, I guess. And I think it just sounds like a run on sentence to me. Like I was worried when I read it and like, what is this grammatically? I don't, I don't know. Oh it's, God. It reads weird. And they didn't change it for the sh- second one. It's like, you'll have to show me well, or slash read it to me. Okay. <laughs> I think it, it can read it fine. In a rotten era where myths were sadly forgotten and science corrupted the hopes of a good tomorrow. A singular theory makes the regiment shudder and the system fears that the secret will be revealed and that the rights to the crown will be claimed by the myth. A creature who bears the name of Groken. Kind of like doesn't yeah. sound like a lot. It's a uh, not very. I don't know. Because I want to continue on in a rotten era where myths were sadly forgotten and science corrupted the hopes of a good tomorrow. A singular. See, I keep reading, but it's that's the end of a sentence. Corrupted the hopes of a good tomorrow. A singular theory makes the regiment shudder and the system fears that the secret will be revealed and that the rights to the crown will be claimed by the myth, comma, a creature who bears the name of Groken. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. I don't want to nitpick this because the rest of the book is great. It just just read funny to me, read weird. But it's, Um, but I mean, it's, it yeah i mean it's the premise it's like the mm-hmm. mythology it's the background so yeah yeah i mean yeah make it make That's more what, sense it, yeah i agree but uh so it's that and then uh, there was a lot happening Ooh, that's gorgeous. in this second one that i do need to reread it because okay there's you know a lot of new characters a lot of like lore put in place and stuff and I mean, th- look at the giant spreads he does. He makes takes advantage of the two pages of the format. You know, a lot of things like this whole thing here isn't have much for panels. You've got a couple panels here. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it's one thing, you know. Um, yeah. So I like that a lot. Um, yeah, just real quality book when it comes to the independent comics I've read. I need to reread this one, but this is one uh, a new one of my favorites. Uh, I think it has a lot awesome. of promise. And uh, I can see this if I was a kid reading it. It's a little mature for a kid, but, but you know, whatever. It would like I would read it over and over and over again. I can see myself sure. if I was a kid like this opening my imagination. Sure. Just like fixating on like a background character. And just sure. like always, I would do what I did to my first X Men comic and just read the thing over and over and tear it to shreds. So, sure. So, for any, like, I'm hoping it keeps going and my kids are into comics and that I can give them to them pretty young, let them see it, and maybe they'll mm-hmm. have that similar kind of reaction. So, okay. Last two things, and these will probably be quicker. 
Um, when I was uh, younger and I had the opportunity to, subscri to subscribe to some comic books, I was subscribed to Batman for quite a while. You don't, you don't say. Yes. Batman. <laughs> um, so I, for whatever reason, maybe it was a gap between renewal of my subscription or something. In this particular run uh, of this six issue kind of storyline, I was missing mm -hmm. one issue. I was missing uh, part four to the series. So I found that on Amazon, picked it up, and now I have the complete six Broken part. City. Yeah. Um, it's uh, of the fame uh, Azarello. He, uh, Brian Azarello, is, um, did 100 Bullets. I've mentioned him on the show before. Right, um, The right. artist he works with kind of has a distinct style. Um, and I remember these fondly because it kind of, to me, was the first, when I was reading it, it's really like seeing Penguin as kind of the gangster. They kind of had mm -hmm. Croc as sort of this gangster guy, too, wearing a chain mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Um, and it just was a very different look from what I was familiar with. I'm trying to show you a good thing, but there's so many ads. Here's a Buffy ad. Uh, this one. Stop it. I love it so yeah. much. There's it's definitely tons later of like, Buffy, but oh, I love it. <laughs> definitely lots of uh, uh, ads for old fun things to look at from the 90s or whatever, but it's very dark. Lots of, yes. shit, lots of shadows. Very, it really is a detective story. Um, and it starts off very good. Uh, I like the dialogue that Batman has with himself. Um, mm -hmm. I like the grim setting in nature. You can see the, like, <laughs> it's the difference between reading books that are like the main mainstream books and a bunch of its ads versus reading an independent book and it's just oh, the thing, gosh. you know? Um, uh yeah, I'm a little dead because it's like dark and dreary and introspective. Yeah. And then gut milk. Get rid of your pimples. <laughs> yeah. Stop. Mm -hmm. Oh my god. Yeah, there's like I kind of I kind of love that, that though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? No, like it's, it was a fun element. It's it's so like visceral and evocative of like the time frame mm -hmm. to see the ads to see yep. that. So um, in the end, finally reading this, you know, in its fully entirety. Yeah. As yeah. an adult, um, I was a little let down, I have to say. Mm. Um, That's it's, too bad. I like the look of it. I like some of the characters introduced. I like that there is, uh, you know, a good mystery here. But I'm not really bought into some of the characters' motivations exactly. And um, without giving anything away, like just some of the there's a villain that sort of turns seemingly pretty quickly. And I'm not a big fan of. Uh, of how that character is developed, I do like the stuff between Batman and Penguin in here. Sure. Here's another ad, by the way. So old cool phone. It says, yo, dude, X mass made easy. These DVDs are great gifts. Uh, dead. Short hand, yeah. I love it. So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so I, I did enjoy reading them, but I was hoping uh, 
I was hoping for more. I'm a, like, I'm seeking out again the best Batman stories to read, um, classics that I really wanted to, um, that I've missed out on and stuff like that. And I thought this was a good one for me to revisit. And sadly, I am not gonna put it in the best of must read list, you know? So it's too bad, but. But I had a good time with it anyways, and I'm glad my my set's complete. So. Um, and then the last thing is. Uh, a Batman book. This is the prequel to Ooh. the movie Batman. Um, mm -hmm. so it's called Before the Batman, an original movie novel. All new, exciting story inspired by the film. So this takes place a little earlier than the film. It this it fills in some like some of Bruce's background in this version, what he was up to um, talks about his like love of cars and working on his Batmobile and some of that. I thought that was really cool. Um, and who wrote this? So this is by um, a person that's done a lot of kid stuff. I remember looking up when I was going to buy it. Sure. Um, let's see. It's it's odd. It doesn't like say anything on the the cover. You know, it's really okay. So David Lumen. David Lumen. Okay. L e w m a n. So, got a few pictures in it. A full up poster. It was a quick read because it's not particularly big and it's large text. So that was my biggest kind of mm. complaint is that it really is made for a younger audience, which sure. I think is something that um, is. A weird dichotomy with Batman these days is like the Batman movie is not made for a young audience. Like no. it is a dreary, dark, brutal kind of movie that I don't know what age you bring your kids to or whatever, but it's not what you, you know, it's not the same thing. Like, Oh, let's put these toys in happy meals. It feels wrong, you know? Sure. Um, so this book then again is like aimed at a more youthful audience, but sure. the story itself is solid. Um, it just, is a little simple, but it was fun to see kind of hmm. how the Riddler got his start in this world too, a little bit. So he sure. was involved. Um, so I would say if you hmm. love the movie, like I do, then it's worth having the little background. So quick read, sure. get some extra background on. Uh, There's a, so I looked it up because I was curious and there are some sample pages, um, uh, on Google books. So I was just mm. like reading through a little bit of that. And you're right. It's definitely like large print, simple yeah. sentences, not specifically written for adults. Right. Mm -hmm. Which isn't terrible, but also is a little bit distracting. Yeah. It's not, I mean, I I'm totally in the camp where I think that, you know, you don't have to write down to kids, in terms of like, you know, genuinely good stories. And those stories can be, can transcend all age groups and some of that. Um, but there can be a, sometimes a, a depth or something that can make a book more engrossing. If uh, we can get, a, we can get a little bit more. Yeah. Spend a little more time in places, uh, not glossing over them quite as much to, to right. get to the end. So. Right. But 
Yeah, I, I had fun with it. You know, it's interesting because it, it, they do very, they change up the origins of Batman on the different takes of this. And, you know, the movie familiar with the Dark Knight trilogy is like Bruce running away and like living life in these, all these different crazy countries and, you know, mm-hmm. learning to, you know, he had what desperation is and stealing the food when he had to or whatever and all that sort of yeah. thing is like basic sense of right and wrong you know all that that they went through the lengths and that's really not the path that they took they chose uh for bruce in this world and right. uh sometime sometime we'll have to talk about what that is when we discuss the movie or the sequel or whatever um, for sure because it is interesting yeah speaking of uh the dark knight was definitely on tv recently so i had to watch mm. it and i just Watched my favorite part, which Bruce Wayne is not even in. It's uh, all Morgan Freeman. Mm. Where Reese, Reese figures out his identity. And oh. is like, he's like, so you're telling me that you figured out the identity of your boss who likes to beat criminals up. Yeah. It, I mean. It, it, but the thing is, it's, it, it's a good bluff from fox lucius fox because you could totally go to the press with that and you totally you totally could could. provide evidence and make like if nothing else it makes tabloids right but right but like morgan freeman sells the hell out of that little like mini monologue it's Mm -hmm. it's Oh, I just like every word. I can hear it in his voice. I can see his facial expressions where he's like, and your plan is to blackmail this person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good luck. Like, it's just, oh, it's just, I watched mm-hmm. it. I was like, uh, I'm reminded why he's so amazing at what he does. I think, you know, I, I would have a hard time picking my favorite scene from that movie but one that always stands out and it's quoted a lot. So, you know, it's, it's, I think really, I mean, the, the whole thing, it's Alfred telling Bruce his story about being in like the jungle somewhere or whatever. And about someone that was going like village to village, oh, burning mm-hmm. and massacring mm-hmm. him. It's just basically comes to the thing of like, some men just want to watch the world burn. So yeah. That whole little like, Thing. And then the creepy Hans Zimmer does a creepy strings whining thing that he does for the Joker that build at the builds at the beginning. He, he, yeah, uh, that's very good. So, yeah, there, anyway. there, yeah, there are so many parts about that movie that are so excellent. Um, came in at some good parts. Obviously, like I said, that that monologue from Morgan Freeman is one of my favorite comedic moments. But then one of my favorite dramatic moments is the uh the fairy where everybody mm. has to go through mm. their own like philosophical dilemma it's yeah just there's some great acting even though it's not a big role there's some great acting there too yeah yeah well we could talk about batman for a long time but uh we gotta talk about bond yeah let's um, let's move on to another iconic man that begins with b right um okay so live and let die 50th anniversary of the film we mm-hmm. watched both the film and read the novel 
Mm-hmm. And we both read two Bond novels now, so we have a little yes. more uh, a little understanding of of how he writes and what this character of James Bond is like. So we'll start there with how would you have thought, how do you think you would have thought of the novel Live and Let Die had you (laughs) only read that novel and not Casino Royale first? Ooh, that would be difficult because it was definitely easier to get into this book having already had that background and that feel for his writing, the feel for like the specificity of some things like, I really like to tell you how I order meals (laughs) and be (laughs) very, very specific about that. It is, it is a very tough thing to like, you know, get into and not feel like you're wasting time. Do Hmm. you know what I mean? Like, um, a long, long time ago, I read Les Miserables by Victor Hugo, and he gets into like these wild tangents about like the French sewer system, the French government, the French church. Like, and sure. it, it is a giant waste of time. It's fascinating, but it doesn't belong in my book. Um, and so I feel like this is like a microcosm of like this could feel like it doesn't belong in my book, but somehow. Fleming makes these, like, I don't know, these, like, focuses or, like, these passions, these interests, these preferences of Bond part of his character. Whereas, yeah, as I, think, I say, it's like character development. It is. It is. and But it takes you, like, a book to get there. So if you're only reading one book, it could feel annoying and it could feel you know, distracting, but once you're reading multiple books, you really get like a sense of the character build. Sure. So I really appreciated having read Casino Royale before reading this book, because I feel like I actually enjoy this book more. And I feel like I enjoyed the book more than the movie. And I don't know if I would have felt that way if I'd only read the book because I could have been annoyed by those things. Okay. You bring up something that is I'm seeing as a bit of a a problem with me reading these books is that mm. if, uh, people always say the book is better than the movie. It's a common thing to say, but it is kind of taking away some of the fun I might have had before with the film, mm-hmm. uh, having now read the book. And uh, this was particularly the case with Moonraker. Because I read that book and then watched that I movie. Could, I could definitely see that. Um, yeah. This one is, I mean, I was a little bit, coming from Moonraker, I was a little more surprised that this was closer to the book than I thought sure. it was going to be. Sure. You know, um, how did that come across to you? It's like, did it feel shocking how different it was or was it like oh, i can i can see the bones of this book here and this makes sense for an adaptation yeah i mean to split hairs i could see where this book was or this movie was coming from the book there was enough there that it felt like you know like they at least tried to stay true to the essential plot but there were some differences that 
I felt like were necessary for the big screen and some that I didn't. Sure. Like I didn't really feel like Mr. Big needed to be anybody other than Mr. Big. Sure. You know what yep. I mean? Like he didn't need to be Kananga. Like I, I just yep. I didn't there was no I agree. point. He didn't need that little twist there, there yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah, there were certain things that like translated better. Um like right here, like we had the living embodiment of Baron Samidi. And that like tied into like all the voodoo elements. Sure. Great. I love it. You know, this is, Mm -hmm. this is like a more visceral feel to the voodoo. Sure. But yeah, there were other things that I just logistically was like, eh, that, that didn't need to be here. We didn't need to complicate having three different locations. We didn't need to be New York, New Orleans, and Jamaica. We could have just picked like, okay, we're skipping New York. We're just going to do New Orleans and Jamaica. We're skipping New Orleans. We're just going to do New York and Jamaica, like in the book. Just unnecessary, complicated. Sure. Yep. Yeah. um, I definitely agree with Mr. Big. Mr. Big was, and I always kind of liked the villain in the movie, but now even with the book, Mr. Big is a more impressive, in the book is a more impressive Villain. villain. I agree. Than what we have in the movie, um, his sort of like stoic intelligence, like and Bond talks about all the time, like being impressed mm-hmm. uh, of his of his intelligence and the operation that he has going. Um, mm-hmm. He feels like a, a real proper threat, and just described even physically, you know, having his, his the size that he has and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I think that. Uh, the movie loses loses that battle. I agree. I agree. Both with both. Um, yeah, he's not as physically imposing a character in the movie. And then also this is the advantage of the book. So I'm I'm trying not to fault the movie too much. The book, we see the full depth and breadth of his like network and his reach. Yeah. Because the the book has time to go into like this bus boy and you know, this restaurant, this like telephone operator, this cab driver, the movie can only hint at that because it's got to move forward. So it, it loses the battle there, but movies often do in that sense because books have more time. Yep. So I was happy that they included that element in the movie though. We would see occasionally someone like calling up quick and saw him and whatever. So I don't think I took as much note of that really thought of that seeing the movie before the book that, Oh yeah, this is like such a large connected thing. Like it really made more sense having read the book. Right. Um, how did, how did live and let die the movie place for you previously? in terms of your reception of it in the Bond uh, franchise? And has that changed now at all? Sure. Um, I mean, it had, it had always been one of my higher-ranked Roger Moore outings, even though he tends to be lower on my scale because I have mm-hmm. a hard time with him. Um, I... I feel like overall my feeling towards it bumps up because I read the book because I like the book so much. And so I sort of like then 
bring the movie lifted up with it. Andrea, um, do the shot on the scene. The, on the scene. <laughs> I know, right? God, her face, her face is sometimes like she, she does some like really great acting in this movie. Um, I mean, you know, not Oscar worthy or anything, but she's, she's solid. But there were yeah. some moments like this one where she was just like over his shoulder, like, uh. and I'm like, <laughs> can you just not please? Uh, this is sorry. Like, yeah. I interrupted. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's hard not to like look at it and be like, this is like 10 straight minutes of you trying to like damsel in different, you know, facial expressions. <laughs> and it, it's, it's rough. Um, not one of the finer points of the movie. Um, no. So, so I think, I feel like this sort of like lifted up both because I'm, I'm watching more bond recently and I'm uh, finding probably fault with other Roger Moore films, but then this one I'd always liked and enjoyed. And then the book make, made me like it more. So okay, more positive nice. feeling, I guess, despite okay. problems I have with it. Sure. Yeah, I think I, I don't know that I changed my stance on it too much. I do think maybe, I don't know if it's the book's fault. I do think I remembered a little more positively than when I watched this last time. And, sure. um, but I still always really appreciate the stunts um, mm -hmm. in a lot of the Roger Moore ones. And I appreciate that in this one, they, they, do pretty well to not make it so obvious it's not Roger Moore. I think the the best oh, ones. Oh sure, sure, sure. So there's like when I watch Moonraker, there are so many scenes in there. It's like very obviously, clearly not Roger Moore, and sure. the stunt work is great, but it's it's too too much. So it's distracting. I, yeah, yeah. I like when they manage to blend it better. And then it looked like he was really driving the boat, which I thought was great. Mm -hmm. You know, going to get some good shots. With the, um, it was a great boat chase, I thought. Um, so when you're reading the book, remember I talked about this with Moonraker, which bond did you picture when you're reading Live and Let Die? Here? Oh, it's so hard. It really is because nobody really fits fully because nobody is scarred. Okay. And they make like such a deal. Out, I, I mean, they make more of a deal out of it in Casino Royale, but they, they make a deal out of it in this one too. So, um, or at least mention of his like facial scar. But I do picture like a combo usually of Pierce Brosnan physically and like attitude Connery. Okay. Mm -hmm. And especially okay. when he like, I don't know, interacts with women. I feel like it's so, so Connery. Yeah. That inner monologue yeah. even. Yeah. I appreciate the, I, I appreciate the honesty of the inner monologue for Bond. In yes. Yeah. You know, like it, when it comes to women or when it comes to a situation and being like, you know, it, Bond is way more human in the books just because you can mm -hmm. see inside his mind. And it's kind of an interesting, you know, it, it kind of goes back to what you were talking a bit earlier about, you know, and how Bond in the books really is a character versus sort of a mythological thing at times in the movies. And um, I was struck by both of the books I've read now, 
how kind of fortunate lucky bond gets in situations he really gets put through the ringer um you know in this like he has his finger broken back and passes out that when you know clearly doesn't happen in the movie nor would but they it happen. wouldn't yeah. yeah it wouldn't you know and then i'm like well there's situations where yeah, i mean james bond That's is getting why... whipped in the nuts in casino royale the movie and he's not passing out there he's like putting on a smile, you know, and stuff like that right. uh, to deal with it. So, yeah, I mean, so two two points off of your point one, because it's showing up right now, this opening scene is probably struck me as one of the more human bond moments, just because like we're seeing his apartment, he's in a robe, like we get inside mm -hmm. his kitchen, he makes a cup of coffee. M is like watching him make this messy ass <laughs> cup of coffee, like... <laughs> What are you doing? He's just, he's so human in this mm -hmm. that it just, it really hit me in the face. Um, but then, yes, to go off your other point of like Bond's sort of luck in situations or his like human nature of, you know, I'm being tortured and I'm passing out. You know, this is my humanity. That's why I feel like Die Another Day was so revolutionary at the beginning because Bond got mm. caught yeah. and, and he was affected by torture. You know yeah. what I mean? Like we watched him like really not fully break because he didn't, but I mean, we watched some of it. Yeah. Like we clearly watched it have an effect on his physical body, but also his psyche. And that was huge. Yeah. I just remember being struck with that, that movie. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not really present in any other Bond movie, but it definitely is in the books. And I definitely yep. felt that shift in the book. Sure. Uh, MJ is in the chat. Just want to take that. Hey, MJ. Hello to her. Um, everybody should make sure they check out MJ Honeybee on Twitch. She does a lot of uh, Dead by Daylight streams and she's doing i don't know i'm not like big in the twitch and stuff she's doing some sort of subathon or something i think tomorrow so if you're around and you got twitch she give it a, a check a looks out yeah subathon that's what it's called so okay. um i don't know what's all entailed in that but go and find out for yourself uh tomorrow 9 a.m central so Starting early. Um, and MJ, sorry, I haven't been in your stream as much this week. Um, it's been <laughs> it's been busy, so work getting going. Yeah. Um, even though yeah. we're adults and no longer in school, I still feel like September is just like I don't know the new beginning of a new year, and it's always in crazy. A way. Yeah. I mean, obviously for you, like hitting up like harvest time, I totally get it. Yep. But also like for me, married to a teacher. Yeah. September is yep. always just nuts. Yep. Um, okay. So I wanted to, we, we got a lot more we could talk about with this. I wanted to bring up for sure the couple moments, uh, kind of plot points that were, um, from other James used in other James Bond movies, 
that were written that were a part of the live and let die novel did okay. you pick up on any of them there were two that i thought of i don't know that i did although if you're gonna say it and then i'm gonna be like oh my god of course sure i'm gonna feel silly okay. but so the first one is a big one and i thought that um i like i said it was the feeling was creeping up of a of familiarity and then sure. I forgot what point it hit me. I was like, okay, this is definitely what's happening here. Um, so the whole smuggling with fish and stuff like that, um, that whole scene down at the docks and everything, and oh. that's licensed to kill. Yes. Yeah. That's uh, right before you just said that. I was like, yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. So that whole thing, kind of having the curmudgeon-y guy that's there that, you know, and is in charge of this part of the operation. And even the, I think it's name of the chapter, something with in worms or whatever. Um, I have my yeah. copy of the book here, by the way. I got this old, like, retro -y copy um, that's kind of torn up and smells funny. But, uh, yeah, you know. Midnight Among it, the um, Worms. Yeah. So I remember mm -hmm. they used like these little clearly fake tackle worms in the movie mm -hmm. and just like jiggled them to make them yep. seem like they're alive things. But yep. um, yeah, so that whole thing. And then on top of that, so it's then, it's then having the sharks because in the movie, the license to kill, they uh, Felix Leiter gets badly wounded yeah. Uh, now, in, in that movie, he's he had just like gotten married and stuff like that, whatever. But he gets badly half eaten or partially eaten by uh, the sharks, just as we get in the book version of right. or Live and Let Die. So, yeah, I was shocked by that. Um, yeah, but I totally also forgot about at the that. same time happy that they used that in another film. You know, it's good stuff. Um, and yeah. then. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I mean, it's it's silly because like that is a really great part of this book. And why not just yeah. use it here? Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, if you're you trying got to so much of it things, baked in. Right. Because I also really liked the idea that solitaire. I enjoyed solitaire more in the book. I thought that she was a mm -hmm. she was a fun character. She had a lot of life to her. And, and it made sense to me, the idea that she was like kind of um maybe talked into but largely kidnapped to be used for her abilities here and she wanted out and yeah. um and to like see an opportunity here with bond both like maybe in the moment but then also like through her gift um yeah. as this is a chance out and i really liked that element in the book she came across as really like earnest and mm -hmm. I just liked that relationship. They, it, it, it grew nicely, but it was also mm -hmm. realistic in the sense like Bond fucks up and she's gone. Yep. And he has to carry on with the mission. He's like, there's a good chance I'm just not going to see her again. I just, yep. you know, and that's part of Bond's life. That's part of his mission. She's just might be dead now. And, yep. um, not like you'd normally have in the movies. And I thought the relationship between them was much more 
like you obviously weren't getting going to get that warmth and stuff and the the growth of the relationship with the way that it was presented in the film right yeah i mean for one they don't have the time that the book has to develop that that's always going to be something fallible about movies versus books but i agree with you solitaire has much more agency in the books and it serves her character much better here there's just too much damseling there's too much that's like inexplicably reverted to like bond making a decision or mr big making a decision versus her and it doesn't make sense for the plot like even their first meeting where he's like oh, I'm sitting in your chair. Like you read the cards. Oh, I just happen to have like 60 million pairs of lover's cards with me so I can well, stack Well, he the knew that for the second time or whatever, you know. He I mean, like, right, but yeah. like, it's just so like, really, who takes the time to do that? Like, yeah, it just, it just don't, I don't know. I just was yeah. super put off by that. I was like, yes. this didn't need to be the way that they interacted it definitely yes. could have been something else. So, yes, like book solitaire was much more interesting. She had much more agency and it was a much more believable storyline <laughs> that they could yeah. have just stuck with. Yep. Because it definitely, I mean, Roger Moore always, I think, probably has the highest body count when it comes to women per film. I don't know mm -hmm. that for a fact, but it's probably true. But it, he the way that like essentially he uses her own belief system in the cars to trick her into having sex with them, which I get it. It's a bond I, I that I guess fits, but it, it was so much nicer in the books, you know? Yeah. And it's like not any, it's not any less like, you know, I don't know. The, the attraction is there and it's just feels genuine. Right. It feels less, um, you know, just less I'm taking advantage of you in a situation. Right. It's no less suave the way it happens in the books. Right. This is, this is like exaggerated to a point where you're like, come on, did we really need to do this? Like mm -hmm. bond is awesome. She sees like this great opportunity, this great looking man in the books. And she's like, yeah, like yeah. I will go for this. I see this as my ticket out. And we could have just ran with that. And it, like I said, it wouldn't have made him any less suave. Yep. Yep. Bond doesn't have sex because he can't do it properly with, cause his one hand is broken. <laughs> also a thing that wouldn't happen right? in the books or in the Very movies. True. You know? Very true. Very <laughs> true. But it was like, but it was like a really interesting moment to like yeah. stop and acknowledge that, but still be like, they're both still like clearly attracted to each other. Yep. And we could have represented that in the movie too. So. Yep. Um, the other thing is also is in a Roger Moore movie. It's the end where they're drug behind, they're tied together and drug behind the boat. It happens in yeah. For Your Eyes Only. That's the way. And the whole idea is like dragging them over oh. coral to cut. So the blood's in the water and then the sharks will eat them. Right. Oh my God, I haven't seen that movie in a long, 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 long time. And I love that. It's my favorite Roger Moore movie is uh, For Your Eyes Only. Yeah, I haven't seen that in a very long time. That's right. So, 
Yeah. Yeah. License to Kill. Yeah. Right before you said it, I was like, ah, I got it. This one I forgot completely. Um, let's see. So other direction. I mean, we, I, I did like, um, I like the, uh, so we're going towards the end or whatever. And bond has gotta, to prepare. Oh, wait, go I got, yeah, I got to pause because Teehee's on the screen and I love <laughs> this. I mean, this claw is ridiculous and awful. Ridiculous. And it's clearly, it's clearly it's a hand a... inside. It's just, I mean, yes. it's so obvious. <laughs> But I really like this actor and I like Teehee's character. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Besides yeah. the ridiculous claw hand. I like yeah. this character. I thought it was well done in the movie. I do like that they added the characters from the book, like the the funny names, Whisper or whatever, you yep. know. I like Coral, that sort of thing. Teehee. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um Okay, so sorry, continue. No, like the I thought the the preparation was fun. So he's on Jamaica and mm -hmm. yeah, in the book and he's got to like train now and stuff to get ready for this physical uh endeavor. And so he stops drinking for like the 9 days or whatever it is and he cuts back to like 10 cigarettes a day. Mhm. Mm so that's his like you know, his eat healthy run every day, all that kind of thing. Right. So Swim. I liked that. Yeah. Yep. And he gets he gets tan for it, and I like that moment that he's gotta train and prepare for a mission. Yeah, it's it's kind of a bummer that you know in the James Bond world of movies we can't have like a training montage. It's just dun, gotta be some like dun, 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 like that, right? Yeah, Up the step. <laughs> I know. Uh, tr whenever you say training montage, everybody's like yeah. Rocky. Mm -hmm. Um. But I mean, it is sad because I agree with you. I really loved that aspect of the book. But for the movie, they're like, we're not going to take the time to do that. I get it. I do. Yeah. That's not fitting again in our like James Bond, like movie world mythology. He just mm -hmm. does something cool instead. Now, did that cool thing need to be like parasailing in or whatever he did right. there? No, because that is also unbelievable that nobody would see him coming in because he's mm -hmm. literally tied to the boat. <laughs> so that's that's, yeah. I think, an unfortunate part of like book to movie translation where you're like, OK, so logistically, actually, the training montage makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Also, it, it would have been really cool to see him fight a giant octopus. Yes. Yeah, actually. Um, it probably would have been not a very real looking octopus though at the time. No, the no, made, but, but yeah. No. Um, I, the closest I can think of in other bond films to like a training thing is always his sort of like demanded rehabilitation sort of like testing. Oh so yeah. In the unofficial bond movie, never say never again. Um, mm -hmm. he's sent to like a, uh, you know, rehabilitate. Well, I don't know what to call it. It's like a physical therapy sort of camp retreat sort of thing. And of course he cheats and stuff and he like hooks up with people there, but he's either getting him back into shape to be in the field. Sure. They also do that in Craig does that underball, I think, uh, which is, which is what never say never again. It's like basically the right. same movie. And then, right. 
Daniel Craig for Skyfall. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, but that's more like, you know, testing rather than like we have a mission that like you specifically need to go train for. This is like, yeah. in general, are you still fit to be a field agent? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. They almost um, do it in Die Another Day, but that's more like medical diagnostics than yep. like, yep. are you yeah, some of those? Are you physically fit to be a field agent? So, mm -hmm. um, my biggest, well, I think maybe my biggest complaint with the book is, which they've, which is something I think they've fixed in the movie. Actually, is the movie is about drugs, and yeah. uh, the book is about like pirate current lost currency. Yeah, yeah. So explain to me, because I thought I should go back and read the beginning of it explain to me why we need to, to like take down and uncover this it's like is it just for the knowledge of like hey we thought this was lost and we need to know where it's coming from now because we're the government and we need to know or is it like is it that right. we um we think we have some claim to this treasure or is no, it like we what is what is the crime being committed here yeah so it's so i think and and you're correct in that this is it's not very well done in terms of like why this is a threat but i think it's because mr big is associated with smirsh and they're Book worried that the gold character, yep. yeah so they're worried that the gold is going to go fund activities and like grow like their operations, but but they don't make that super. Uh, sorry, they Fleming doesn't make that case very explicitly. So it is sort of like fringy. Like, why is this a problem? Okay, I buy it. But I it makes but sense. I, I think that's like the crux of the problem. Yep, that makes sense. It makes total sense. They want to cut off a funding arm of Smirsh. Yes. Yes. But okay, but not a lot of time is spent on that. It's very like, oh, Mr. Big, like was on our radar until like suddenly he disappeared in Moscow. We think he was trained by Smirsh, and now he yeah. is associated with them. And and that's yeah. sort of it. So if you're not paying attention very closely, you would miss it. Yeah, I definitely well, and definitely my fault because I did have a harder time getting into this book like the mm. i don't know whatever the pace or whatever compared to moonraker um moonraker to me was very interesting quite quickly um and this took me a little longer for whatever yeah. reason um once we really got to like the train and stuff in like mm -hmm. you know me up a solitaire and all that sort of really started to pick up for me but it took a little bit and that's it's too bad because I did like stuff in Harlem and I mm -hmm. I actually for the beginning of this book very much pictured Craig actually because I like uh, the portrayal of Felix Leiter so much mm, in Craig's sure. films. Agreed. Um, I just he just does a great job with uh, with the role and um so I and I like their banter. I like their relationship and the way they act in the movies. 
So because mm-hmm. Felix Slater in previous Bond films really always felt like an afterthought. I never yeah. really thought of him much at all. Um, I did feel the he feels relationship. like one in this film. Yeah. He does feel and, like one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's so. because he doesn't have that whole like side plot of like being injured. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Although so, I did love but, their nod to the club and like the table that disappears and reappears. Mm-hmm. I did love that. Yeah. So th- when, yeah, when I was seeing that movie, it's like, hey, okay, you know, we're going more, I mean, obviously way more entertaining scandalous show uh, in the book right. happening on stage. But, um, but yeah, the whole idea that, hey, we're going to check out in Harlem and going to his club and we're whisked away behind the secret door. Like I was like, okay, we're, we're maybe following the book more than I thought we were going to. So yeah, Mm -hmm. I was happy with that. Yep. Um, I love the fashion in this one. I thought that was, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, seventies going into eighties is good. Um, what else, what, what else must you mention? What else uh, has to be said? Uh, okay, I have to. I have to mention this, um, and because it, <laughs> it's so terrible. Chris and I watched it, and we both just looked at each other, and we were like, "Oh, Kananga slash Mister Big being blown up by the shark gun, and like infl- Oh God, it's so it's so bad. It's so bad. It's so bad. It's so unnecessary." Their fight was so cool. They were already in the water with a shark. Like, shit was going to happen. There was blood. All Bond had to do is, like, bleed on Mr. Big and, like, shove him in front of the shark. And it was just, it was going to be badass and in the spirit of the book. And then suddenly he's shooting him and he's blowing up. Like, oh, God. And it was such bad effects in that moment. I agree with you. There were so many other great effects, stunts, moments in this film that really detracted for me. Yeah. Yep. At, they at least do it really quick. It happens yes. fast. Thank, thank God it's over in the matter of like five seconds. But those five seconds, you're like clearly not watching a human being. <laughs> it's It's terrible. And then when he blows up, it's not even like, and I know they really can't. So this is part of why I'm annoyed by it. It's not visceral. It's it's clearly not person Chunks, that blows yeah. into pieces. It is like it's balloon puppet, bits. Balloon <laughs> bits. Yes. So that's why I'm like, this was unnecessary. You had a cool fight. You had a cool setup. Just go with what you had and try mm. to make it like extra cool. Yeah. You know, speaking of gadgets, Bond really used his mm. watch a lot in this. Like, he, he really does. used that magnet, you know? Mm-hmm. I feel like you should include that one in future watch variations, Q, because, you know, yeah. tried to get the boat that didn't work out, but then he got the um, thing at the end. Yep. Um, and he, unzipping in dress, you the know? Dress. That was pretty sweet. Yeah. <laughs> that was great. Yep. Magnetism. Yeah, yeah, like it. And that and that was a one-liner I did not mind. I thought this movie this mm-hmm. movie did a really good job containing the one-liners right up until the end when he was like, 
Oh, he has an inflated opinion of himself. Ah, he just blew up. <laughs> oh, I'm being disarming. I ripped off Teehee's hand. Like, oh, God. You started, <laughs> this movie started so strong in so many ways. And then there was like a little bit of a fizzle at the finish, but mm-hmm. it, it's, mm-hmm. it's minor. So I'll let it slide. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely with the ending is where the the book and movie really felt like different things. Yes. You know, the like drama and the tension of trying to get through the water and the very real just like threat of the darkness and what's in the ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, Bond is facing that, you know, and he has to, it, that's a very non-Bond film sort of thing. Um, he, mm-hmm. In the film, he would have come across a, dozen people in the water with harpoon guns right. and dealt with them all and then it got to the island and dealt with a bunch more people and then you know and still no one's heard from him and you know you sneak around and in the book he's like i barely escaped this octopus which made me lose a bunch of like they make a commotion in the water and they yep. saw that i didn't know and i come right up and they they've got me yep so yep. like just I lost a, a chunk out of my different. suit. Like, fuck. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. One, what do you think of, it's a thing in Bond movies for sure. And I'm seeing it's a thing in the books now too, of like the villains, not just straight up killing Bond. It's always mm. like, it's the, the trap or the, how did you find that as believable in this book where, We've mm-hmm. Mr. Big has opportunities to just kill Bond and doesn't. Do you like that uh, aspect or not? Yeah. So I sort of felt okay with it in this book because Mr. Big was this sort of like highly intellectual character. He's like, man, I've done all I can do in terms of simplicity. I'm trying to like make things elegant. I'm trying to like find different ways to do things. And I have this sort of intellectual curiosity about how this might, this scenario might play out. And he never thinks like, I'm not going to win. Like he's so confident. And I felt Mm. that so much from his character that I did believe this, like this, this scenario of like, I'm just going to drag you behind my boat to see what happens. He's still there. He's still present. He still feels like I'm super going to kill you. So that particular scenario I didn't feel like was a stretch or a reach because it's not like, I'm going to tell you my plot and then I'm going to leave. She was like right there, like, I want to see what happens when there's blood in the water. Sure. Um, So that didn't feel to me like a stretch, even though I was coming off of Casino Royale where it did feel like a stretch that – Okay. Like the Smirsh agent just disfigured Bond instead of being like, oh, hey, I know who you are. I know you're a spy. Even though these aren't my orders, I'm probably going to kill you anyway. Sure. Okay. That yeah, scenario to me we... felt more like you should just kill him. Mm-hmm. He's literally trussed up naked in a chair. Like, he's right yeah. there. He's like a Christmas gift. Wow. I'm not, I mean, what a Christmas gift. Bond naked in the chair <laughs> of the tree. I mean, if Chris is listening. 
Um, yeah, I, I like I thought of it when I was reading Moonraker and something I thought of in this. And I didn't know if I would think if I would be thinking of it so much if it wasn't such a cliche for the films. Um, yeah, because Moonraker definitely has this kind of thing, too, um, but a different, you know, different mm -hmm. situation. Um, I do think of the two I've read now, this was the most realistic. Um, because yeah. letting him go the first time, just injuring him is like a warning and not wanting to have to deal with the mess of the explanation of why a secret agent here, British person has gone missing mm -hmm. slash dead, you know, him and Felix, all of a sudden they're both, dead. they didn't want to deal with that commotion of everybody being around. We're giving the opportunity to walk out. This is your warning leave. Mm -hmm. So I like that. That was fine. Yeah. And then, um, and then the end thing too, you're right. He is there. We're actively doing this thing. Mm -hmm. Um, it seems a fitting punishment, you right. know, versus just like killing you now or whatever, uh, gun to the face. It it's not enough punishment for what for the trouble you've caused me. So, yeah, and I feel like the book had much more occasion to to make it realistic in terms of like Mr. Big's motivations were, hey, you like really embarrassed me, like yeah. everybody knows you took my woman. And yeah. their their belief in my like supernatural power and you know standing in in voodoo is shaken. Right. So I really need to like punish you well so that you know everybody can regain their belief in my infallibility. But also the book does better. I mean, movies are always going to be a little bit hokey when like your hero and your damsel are tied up and like dangling over some sort of wild animal tank as like, we're going to kill sure. you. Right. Um, but the book does better because we get the inner workings like where James is like, okay, they're going to drag us over the coral. This is going to tear my body in this particular way. This is how like sharks are going to attack. You know, this is how barracudas are going to swarm. You know, if this happens, I'm going to throw my body over solitaire and drown her. So yeah, she right. just, you know what Had I mean? Like eats in live. Yeah. Right. It's so much more like of a visceral, like threat when you mm -hmm. like think about somebody's inner monologue of like, this is how I'm going to drown somebody so that this is a death preferable to being eaten alive. That's yep. way scarier than somebody yep. standing, you know, tied up with like what looks like a silk handkerchief you know, dangling above a shark yeah. tank. They look fine. So it creates a hardened and heroic moment. Like that's a real mm -hmm. like moment of, I don't know, machismo there. Because if you try to put that in the film, how do you explain it without inner monologue? You have to have solitaire ask for that to happen, probably. Right. Right. Because Bond's not going to, that messes with the point. Bond's not going to come out and say, hey, if you're going to be eaten alive, I'll just drown you. Like, you don't right. say like, that. You're just like, making that decision. Right. That's not going to make anybody feel better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and again, it coming down to like, well, he, he did what he needed to. He planted the device. He put the timer on it and stuff like that. But I'm like, it's got to be, he's got to be on time. You know, I got to try to delay whatever, because it counts. These seconds matter. 
for when this is going to go off versus it's too late for us anyways. Right. Right. Um, what else? Anything else? I don't think so. Other than, uh, um, I mean, there's not much to say here about the theme song because it is classic. It's great. I love it. Um, I do mostly, I would say like 80% of the time, love its use sprinkled across the movie. There were one or two Mm. times where I was like, okay, we could have like pulled back a little bit. We didn't need to use the theme here, but I do get it. It's a great theme. It lends itself to like the quick action moments, like the, the um, instrumental portions. So yeah, it was fun. I remember really not liking the sheriff, but oh yeah, in 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 subsequent viewings, not 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 starting with this one, but in subsequent viewings before, I had I had actually changed my opinion in the way I embraced Roger Moore films, and sure. I think he's pretty pretty funny, pretty damn <laughs> hilarious. It's really weird and out there and silly, but. I'll give my brother Billy Bob. We'll give my brother Billy Bob. And uh, I don't know. <laughs> Billy Bob will sure teach him. He'll teach him. Uh, I thought uh, he's a funny addition to the story. And it works well with Roger Moore. Um, it works well with this him. style. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So. Um. Okay. I mean, that's uh live and let die the book. Yeah. Over, overall, I, I feel like, um, Roger Moore's first turn as 007 is really one of his best. Yeah. And, uh, this, I mean, reading the book and watching the movie did not change my opinion about that for sure. Cool. Great. Well, are you excited for the last bond anniversary of the year? So we already that one again? Um, from Russia with Love. Yes, I love that movie. So getting getting to my favorite Bond again. All right, because we covered um, just now "Live and Let Die" uh, mm-hmm. with the um, um, forty years, fifty, fifty years, and forty was um, let's see what we just did Octopussy. We didn't read the book for that. Uh, no, we but, didn't. And then, um, yeah. But I'm okay with it because now I feel like I can just read through in order. Okay. okay. You know what I mean? You, like starting with Live gonna... and Let Die was like easy to just like, I'm just going to flip back to Casino Royale and then now I can like go forward. Okay. So you're going to get all the, I, I don't know the order by heart, but you're going to get from... the books. You're going to read up to From Russia with Love. Yeah, from Russia with Love is only number five. So all I have to do is read Moonraker and Diamonds Are Forever. And okay. then from Russia with Love. Well, I have to love. buy Diamonds Are Forever. Yes. I have to, okay. <laughs> I, I, would, I have Casino Royale. I don't know if I'll be able to manage, it depends on what we do it, if I'll be able to manage Casino Royale and Diamonds Are Forever and uh, from Russia with Love. But, all right. Postpone Casino Royale till the last. Cause yeah. Obviously, it'll be the least relevant. Yeah. But it is a good book. Okay. Okay. 
Cool. Very exciting. Um, mm -hmm. Happy to be reading these books. It's been a long time coming. Uh, pretty, uh, pretty sad. I haven't read any of them to this point, so <laughs> happy to be doing so. And um, talking about with the one and only solitaire. Hey, you should have some tarot cards with you. Well. I should. Dang it. I should have come and taken some of Ashley's and just, you know, yeah. <laughs> yep. Flash some like death and lovers and high priestess. Yep. Mm hmm. Um, all right. That's been Popcast on the Rocks. Make sure everybody you follow us on Twitch, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, all those sorts of places. Um, we do have stuff going up on Rumble as well. Um, it's supposed to mirror what's on YouTube, so check that out. Run podcast directories, I would podcast Spotify. The video version is on Spotify, and often we have uh like polls, um like community questions and stuff like that. You can answer on there join the discussion mj honeybee was in the chat earlier uh we appreciate her stopping by you should check out her twitch channel and youtube as well killing the flower they wrote our theme song for the show and uh they are available on music streaming services and on youtube and um track mouse 34 on youtube is mm -hmm. our good friend mike um he does racing videos on youtube so go ahead and give him a look see and then we should be back pretty soon i gotta confirm with everyone the time but we'll be back with an anime podcast to talk about uh jujitsu kaisen because it has resumed now new episodes mm -hmm. um the second of these new episodes just came out yesterday so hopefully on monday or early next week we'll be talking about um those two episodes so yeah make sure you're following along um i don't think i missed anything andrea thanks for joining me once again of course as always cheers everybody